Welcome to the Sword and the Trial, a podcast of Founders Ministries. Founders Ministries exists for the recovery of the gospel and the reformation of churches. I'm Jared Longshore. And I'm Tom Askell. Thanks for listening to the Sword and the Trial today. We're very glad to have you with us, and we would love to have you with us in January. We have a conference coming up on the Doctrine of God, January 21st through the 23rd. Um, you're going to be preaching. I'm going to be preaching. Bodie Bauckham is going to be joining us to preach. We've got Chad Vegas from out in uh, Bakersfield, California. Mm-hmm. We've got James Dolezal, who's going to be with us as well, along with uh, Daryl Harrison and Virgil Walker, the Just Thinking Podcast guys. We're going to be doing a live podcast with them. We've got all kinds of exciting stuff going. We actually are sold out on that conference. We've been uh, rejoicing over the response to it, uh, but we are working diligently to try and find a bigger space. So there's a waiting list that you can sign up on. I heard there's already over 100 plus yeah, on the waiting list. Pushing that. And so... Uh, uh, go ahead and sign up for that. That is not just, uh, hey, I'm, I'm think I might come, but if you say, when I really want to come to this, sign up on that waiting list, and we're going to try to uh, secure a space soon. And it might be that by the time you actually listen to this podcast that uh, the uh, possible change in venue has occurred, so there may not be a waiting list. There may just be a continued registration list. But even if we change venue, we are in danger of selling out the expanded venue, too. So encourage you, if you have any interest at all, sign up for it. If you have questions, let us know. We'd be glad to try to answer those. But it's going to be a wonderful time. Southwest Florida, January, Doctrine of God, which is far more significant and important at this time than probably many of us can yeah. fully measure. And uh, we got guys coming in that will help uh, lead the way in us thinking biblically about it. Thanks to our fan members and Founders Alliance churches for your support and enabling us to continue to do this. Well, we have been dealing with the civil unrest and then the overreach of government when it comes to the Church of Christ for some time now. We've been dealing with this really throughout 2020. And uh, you've heard much about Pastor John MacArthur out in California, how he has taken a very good stand, uh, although he could have assembled his congregation, perhaps somehow, some way, to meet outside or to divide them up. Um, He has chosen to stand and Mm -hmm. continue to meet indoors. And we are delighted to have Rob McCormick McCoy, Pastor Rob McCoy, who's also from California with us today. And it's a reminder that it's not just Pastor John MacArthur. There's pastors in various places that are dealing with these issues. And Pastor Rob McCoy is right on the front lines of that. And he is standing. So, so delighted to have you here with us today, brother. Well, thank you, Jared. Thanks, Tom. Yeah. I had the privilege of meeting Rob a couple of weeks ago. We were at an event together and I heard him speak uh, about the experience of his church, the Godspeak Calvary Chapel. It's in Ventura County in California. And I was just moved. I was just uh, uh, overcome with a sense of God's goodness his power and his grace in your life and in your congregation through difficult times. You know, so often what's going on today, both in terms of how we respond to the protests and riots, as well as how we respond to COVID, tends to be divided up with either, well, you deny COVID and uh, you think that anybody who protests is just wicked and, and ought to be done away with, or you know, if you're not protesting, then you really don't love God. And if you're not wearing masks and staying uh, isolated, then you, you want to kill grandma. And and it's like, those are your only two options. And it's certainly not true. So, Rob, when I heard you speak, and then we got to talk a little bit afterwards, uh, just to hear your testimony, you know, about, man, you don't want to be here. You did, you, it's not something you woke up one day and say, hey, I aspire to be in the spotlight and go before a judge and have to be held in contempt of court and all that. So would you mind just telling us you know, how did you get to this point? It didn't happen yesterday. It's happened over a series of months. Yeah, uh, and and thank you. I uh, I was the um, I was the mayor of the city of Thousand Oaks mm. in 
2019 when we had had the borderline shooting where we had lost 12 of our, our young people in a country western dance hall. Um, and two of the, the victims were from our congregation. Uh. And uh, and so we we had Officer Gila shot and killed, and we dedicated a freeway to him, a park to our victims, uh, buried the 12. And it was tragic. I, I love this city. I would never want harm on this city or this county. I, I worked hard to get elected to office and to serve the citizens of this community. Mm. But on a- April 3rd, during our Holy Week, where, you know, for Protestants, two of our sacraments, one in particular, communion, on Palm Sunday, uh, the governor of California declared that the church was non-essential <laughs> and that we were not to participate in communion. And and as an elected official, he, he authorized and considered essential cannabis distributors, abortion clinics, liquor stores, but not the church. Yeah. And, I, and I, I couldn't live with that. Uh, so we followed CDC standards, uh, a sanctuary that holds 400. We, we had 10 seats. And it took, it took us almost three and a half hours to provide communion from, from one loaf of bread, one cup. Uh, but, but they were individually wrapped. But we just, it's, a, it's how we follow our communion, this sacrament. Mm-hmm. And the press came out as though we were killing everybody. Yeah. And then they reported later and, and accurately that it was the cleanest place in Ventura County. <laughs> it made Costco and, and Trader Joe's look like slums because we were so meticulous. And this had nothing to do with the virus. It had everything right. to do with politics. And we and I realized that as an elected official, I, I know something most pastors don't know, how elected officials operate mm. and, and what they're doing. And the night before uh, the, the communion service, we saw that it hit the press, and I knew that my my colleagues on the council, who I adore, would would be forced to censure me because I'm in violation of a, of the governor's order, yeah. and they would continue to have to censure me. And we already had enough on our plate with the with the pandemic, uh, so I resigned, mm. and it broke my heart. Yeah. I love this city, and I love this county, and I know every elected official. So. Um, when we found out at, at the early stage, we didn't know the severity of the virus, but when we we we've had no less than ten doctors and two psychologists on on our nightly live stream that we've done for our our elderly folks who are shut in. Uh, we've done 180 night nightly episodes, mm. and we we have looked at the data. We we've had doctors speak on the virus. We've done all of the work we can to understand this, and now the data doesn't add up, and the governor completely shuts the church and forbids indoor worshiping. But then he embraces the BLM riots, right. where 75% of the businesses it burned and were looted in Los Angeles were Jewish-owned businesses. It was hate crimes across yeah. the board, and we were sending our officers down. I know our sheriff of Ventura County personally, and and I just realized this, again, we're opening right? because this has nothing to do, first of all, the empirical data and the stuff that we've looked at, and the governor is not playing on a level playing field. It's not fair. So we opened and we've been wide open since May 31st, no social distancing, no masks. We haven't had one, not one case of COVID, Mm. not one. And our our church has multiplied by five, five times. We haven't had one case. And then in August, uh, they, they got a judge who was political and predictable to, to, um, 
give a emergency temporary restraining order on the church to shut us down. And uh, it was three of the five supervisors. And I was sad they did it because I, one of them I know really well. Mm. And uh, they, they just yielded to that. And um, we fought it. And they said that on the order that the judge had subscribed or prescribed, he said that not only would I be hit with a violation and be held in contempt, so would a thousand does, mm-hmm. uh, whether visitors or members of our congregation. And the, and when we opened after that court hearing, people drove from all over Southern California, four churches in particular, and surrounded our building with a thousand people who said, we want your church to worship in peace. We'll take the citation. Amen. Wow. Wow. Amen. Wow. Rob, is it a um, so so? If you back up here, what what is the um, is it a county ordinance? Is it a state matter that that is the what's the actual statute that's um, saying you can't meet indoors? Well, it was, a, it was a federal judge, county judge who who issued the temporary the emergency temporary restraining order, and we papered that judge uh, because again he was political and predictable. He said on a scale of one to ten. As far as a threat and a danger to the community, he considered us a 10. <laughs> Yet we never had a single case. We have ionization machines and UV lights, and we're meticulous in the way we operate. But we know the virus is not affected, and, and we, we've gone through great lengths to understand the virus. We know the comorbidities. We know the age group that it affects. We've done our homework. That's why we haven't had any cases. Yet... Uh, what they were hoping to do is that when a federal judge orders law enforcement to take whatever means necessary to shut a facility down, well, then then those law enforcement agents will lose their job. And when we and, and that judge would have done it and the county came looking for that. Uh, but the, the judge, the second judge that we got, Judge O'Neill, he wouldn't allow law enforcement because our law enforcement agents swear to defend the constitution and the last thing they want to do is turn against parishioners who are worshiping god amen and but they also don't want to lose their job yeah yeah well amen to that judge o'neill who has put it into that that was the injunction from the judge right what what is the what's the county statute um what are the limitations is it is it no indoor at all or is there a certain limit or Yeah, uh, exactly what the governor has said. Mm. So at one point we had six boxes, uh, quadrants that we were we were supposed to fulfill in order to be open and be given more freedom. And uh, and we had fulfilled five of those six boxes and and one box. If we just simply lowered the the number of tests uh, that that is the minimum for the state, the number of positives would have precipitously dropped in percentage. So we would be wide open. And the governor, which he's prone to do, immediately moved the goalposts and got away, did away with that metric and put a four colored tier system, purple, red, orange, and, and yellow. There's no green and, and, and there's no hope for opening. And the only thing the church is allowed to do is meet outside or via the internet. And, and doing church over the internet is like watching a fireplace. You can hear it and, and see it, but you can't feel the warmth. Amen. Amen. And as we told, and as we told the reporters, how, how do you comfort someone crying over the internet? How how do you deal with a broken marriage over the internet? How do you, the the two mandated reporters for those being abused, both 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 physically and 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 sexually, are churches and schools, and we've all been closed. 
how do you how do you how do you help the, the those being abused over the internet? Right. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Rob, what uh, what has been the penalty? You've you've been fined now on consecutive Sundays, I guess, right? Going forward. So tell us about that and what's the accumulation on that? Yeah. So uh, the the county attorneys, the plaintiffs' attorneys, sought a thousand dollars per violation fine. So we have three services on Sunday. Anytime we're open, not practicing social distancing or wearing masks. We're, we're in violation of the restraining order. So it's a thousand, they, they were seeking a thousand dollars plus attorney fees. The judge was not inclined to give them attorney fees, but did give them $500 per incident. So at the time of the original hearing, we were fined $3,000. Mm-hmm. That's two Sundays, three services, $500 each, $3,000. Okay. And since then, we have still continued to violate that restraining order. So we could amass at this point thousands and thousands of dollars mm. Mm. Uh, if the judge sees fit and if the county comes after us for that. Yeah. But I, I'm going to tell you now, we're not going to pay a penny. Amen. I refuse to pay one dime. Amen. So you're willing to go to jail? Oh, we've already stated that. We, yeah. We're we not grandstanding. Yeah. What we're stating is, and, and we didn't want to go public with this. I, I told the CEO of the county, I told the city manager, I told our supervisors, please don't do this. Right. Just let us worship. Don't go public with this. Just let us worship. If there's a concern, we'll be the first to shut down if there's any concern, meaning if anyone contracts it or whatever happens. Yeah. And and they went after us and they wanted to make a spectacle. And so we didn't we we didn't start this. They did. And we're not going to pay a dime. Amen. Amen, Rob. I, brother, I am so encouraged to hear you say the things that you're saying. So all the way across this, from all the way across this very broad nation, no, you're getting the biggest love from me possible. I thank God that, and I know that you didn't want to become public, and I, I, I'm with you in that. But I'm also grateful that it is now an example to so many uh, pastors, because we have pastors throughout the land that are facing similar situations. I have friends I've been talking to up in New York that are facing yeah. these kind of situations. And um, while while I'm not saying at this point you have to take the course uh, that someone like you or John MacArthur has taken, um, I very much think you are exercising great wisdom and courage and boldness and faithfulness to Christ uh, by taking the the pathway that you have and said we're going to meet indoor and we're going to um, respectfully disregard this order that has come down from government that we don't think is right, we don't think is appropriate. So we have a lot of pastors that listen to this, and I'm sure some of them that are facing situations like yours right now. Well, what do we do? Do we comply? Do we find a way to meet outside? Do we do we um, separate our church into groups? Um, what is your case, Is a, in a brotherly loving spirit, say, here's why we are doing what we are doing. Here's why we continue to meet inside. Some guy might say, hey, Romans 13, why don't you just go along? I mean, they're technically not telling you to sin. You could find another way. Why do you say, no, here's why we're doing what we're doing. Here's the rationale and convince some brothers out there that this there's some wisdom in this approach. Sure. I, and, and to my brothers out there who aren't open and maybe take offense at my position, first of all, I, I, I love you as a brother in Christ, as a fellow shepherd. I understand your position. As shepherds, we, we don't seek conflict. We're, we're peace lovers. And, and your desire to comply is, I, I would expect nothing less because that's your heart. And, and please, the Bible says love hopes all things. To the extent I give that you know, credit to you, please do the same for me in that 
Romans 13, and I've been accused of violating it. And, and I understand because we all, we all look at Romans 13, that God appoints all positions of authority and that we're to respect and honor those positions of authority. And then it goes further to say that they're ministers of justice to execute wrath on those who would do evil, to carry the sword, and, and that we're to honor that. But it also says that they're there for our good, not for our evil. Mm-hmm. And, and in addition, <clears throat> I think every pastor in the country that, you know, invokes Romans 13 uh, translates it just the same as, as myself. But where they, they miss it, from my vantage point, is as an elected official, uh, I understand who the authority is in Romans 13, whereas I don't know that every pastor in the country understands who the authority is in Romans 13. You see, in the United States of America, this is a constitutional republic, and the authority is found in the first three words of the preamble, the Constitution, we the people. Amen. And the elected officials govern by our consent, and they're bound, and, and I was part of this, they're bound by the seven articles of the U.S. Constitution that they swore to defend, as I did when I was elected to that office. And that Constitution doesn't give us any rights. There's no, no such thing as constitutional rights. Mm. That Constitution is designed to stop the the elected officials from infringing on our God-given rights, Amen. our inalienable rights. And that's why they swear to defend that, those seven articles of the U.S. Constitution. And then there's 27 amendments. And the very first amendment, after, after our founders declared who the sovereign in America was, we the people, they knew that every counselor and every king, excuse me, every king needs a counselor and every president needs a cabinet. And so our founders gave the king the authority, uh, a counselor, freedom of religion, First Amendment, freedom of the press, the freedom of speech and the freedom to peaceably assemble so that the the pulpits could proclaim liberty. Second Corinthians 3, where the spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. The Apostle Paul says in Galatians, stand fast, therefore, in the liberty for which Christ has set you free. By the way, he wrote that in prison. And, and, as, and as we realize liberty is not man's idea, it's God's idea. You'll know the truth. The truth will set you free. He wants us to govern one another. And, and pastors across the country say, I don't do politics because politics is dirty. Well, my response, having spoken to 15,000 pastors is, yeah, politics is dirty, but so is the church. What's your point? <laughs> and then they say, well, I'm tired of voting for the lesser of two evils. And I say, unless Jesus Christ is running for office, you will always be voting for the lesser of two evils. Mm. Again, what's your point? Don't, don't justify your apathy and inactivity by somehow you know, virtue signaling or taking moral pietism. We have a responsibility when it says in, in Timothy to pray for kings and those in authority that we would live quiet and peaceable lives in all godliness and reverence. Well, then what's the name of your five school board members and your five city council members who you pray for by name in accordance with that pastoral epistle, who you pray for by name and the issues they're dealing with in your community that you've been placed that would allow your citizens <clears throat> and your people to live quiet and peaceable lives in all godliness and reverence. Mm. And I've asked that of 15,000 pastors. You can hear a pin drop. They don't know their council members. Mm. They don't know their school board members, and they don't know the issues in their community because they've abdicated their responsibility in the public square. I'll, I'll leave you with this last thought. When Jesus says, who do men say that I am? And Peter says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. He says, blessed are you, Simon Farjonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this, but my father in heaven, he says, upon this rock, I'll build mine. Everyone says church, but the beauty of 
Tyndale and the Geneva Bible is it's not translated church. They, they translated it properly to assembly because Jesus co-opted a secular term in the word ecclesia. He didn't say synagogue. He didn't use a religious term. He said ecclesia, which translated in Koine Greek means public square, assembly. You, you, you step into the public square. Mm. And, and Galatians 3 says that the law is a school teacher, a guardian to point us to Christ until faith comes. You're contending for laws that keep people safe, but we've abdicated our responsibility in the public square, and we've bought into King James's lie that somehow it's the church's four walls with a, a cross on top. Mm. It's, 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 it's con- contending for human souls in the public square. Yeah, Rob, you, you are, uh, man, you're singing our song and this whole idea of uh, needing to be pastors in the public square, pastors that are willing to engage beyond the four walls of our uh, assemblies regularly. It's something that we've lost in our day. And, of course, there's a danger. There's a danger of a church being co-opted to become just another political action committee. None of us want that. None of us are going to allow for that. But those aren't the only two alternatives. And and so when you when you talk to pastors and when you listen to them and even to your critics, how would you diagnose w- what motivates many God-fearing and Bible-believing pastors to not take the stands or to hesitate uh, going in the direction that you are leading uh, your congregation to go? Well, yeah, I'll just I'll just share from a personal perspective, and then I'll go deeper with it. All right. Uh, I happen to be a part of a body of churches called Calvary Chapels, mm-hmm. and they started in California in 1968. And in 1968 in California, Reagan was governor. We had the fifth largest GDP. Uh, we were the state of the future. I was born here in '64. My father was born here. My grandfather. It was it was an, it, it, an amazing state. Still is. And uh, with Reagan governor, it was conservative and business was booming in 68. But in 1968 in the United States, uh, Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. had been massacred, shot uh, on the balcony of a motel or hotel in Memphis, Tennessee. Bobby Kennedy was shot right here in Los Angeles by Sirhan Sirhan. We'd had the Tet Offensive and the My Lai Massacre in 68. Mm-hmm. 69, we'd have uh, the Kent State shooting. And so you know, there was a, a Marxist movement in the United States. People were checking out of the traditional church, exploring Eastern religion and, and dropping drugs. And we're watching our young people die in faraway countries with names we couldn't pronounce. My father had three tours of Vietnam. And then we had the war riots. And then Chuck Smith comes on the scene with his wife, Kay, and he sees the shores of California wash with hippies and, and burned out drug users. And his heart's broken. He begins to teach the Bible verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book, kind of a hybrid, charismatic, you know, Bible teaching. And and the, the church experiences 10,000% growth since 1968. <clears throat> there's 1,800 Calvary chapels around the world. South of Van Nuys, there's 350 Calvary chapels. We've had the Harvest Crusades with Greg Laurie. And, and at one point, two of the 10 largest churches in America were Calvary chapels. My point is this. We've been doing this for 52 years. We've we've exploded in growth. Our our eschatology has been pre-trib, pre-millennial. So it's kind of like, you know, the house is on fire. The next thing on our on God's agenda is the rapture, and we got to get the kids out. So we're very evangelistic. But but what has been our impact on California in 52 years? Being apolitical because Chuck refused to do politics. 
We no longer have the fifth largest GDP. We have the sixth, maybe seventh. We now have the highest gas tax, sales tax, income tax, corporate tax. We lead the nation in debt. You combine the next four largest states' debt, doesn't equal California's. We lead the nation in poverty. <clears throat> Excuse me. We lead the nation in homelessness. We are the authors of no-fault divorce that Reagan signed into law in 70 that decimated marriage across the country. We're the authors of transgender bathroom bills. We have the most secular progressive sexual education curriculum in the world, and it's vile. I can't even I can't even read to you any of it. And oh, here's the kicker. We've aborted more children in California because we lead the nation in abortion. We've aborted more children than the entire population of Canada. So where's the power of the gospel? We've never had more property, more buildings, more Bible schools, more concerts, more crusades. And and had zero effect. Our millennials can't live here. More people have left California than came here during the Dust Bowl. Mm-hmm. And that's that's because we abdicated the ecclesia. Yeah, Rob, you you alluded to this earlier when you were talking about the um, preamble to the Constitution, and then you is interesting. I haven't heard anybody put it this way, but you say every every sovereign needs a counselor, and then you have the yeah. First Amendment, this freedom of religion. So it's like operating in your thinking is the the church as we have freedom of religion and we are preaching Christ crucified we're preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ and then we're preaching all that Christ has commanded through that uh, Matthew 28 uh, great commission that there's actually a counseling there's a work that's being done even for uh, the citizens of a given state or the citizens of a given nation and that that counselor must be free to speak the truth of Christ or else the actual sovereigns the the people we the people are not going to have the capacity to rule ourselves govern ourselves well is that your train of thought just won't you spell that out a little bit more exactly um and I, and I like the idea that we are not a branch of a political party. Mm. We, don't, we, we don't adapt to the culture. We drive the culture. You, you, political parties are, are neither moral nor immoral. They're just amoral. They're, 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 they're holding pa- places for people of like mind to gather. And they're going to only be as, as, as righteous or as immoral or as good or as bad as the people who participate in them. Good government only happens with good people. And if the church abdicates its engagement in the public square, then the vacuum we create will be filled by somebody whose morals will go forward. And you say, well, you can't legislate morality. Every law ever made is based on someone's morality. That, that is another – somebody came up with that to try to keep moral people out of the public square. And, and the worst is you can't talk about religion or politics. Those are the two most important things you should be talking about. And as a p- politician and a pastor – by that admission, I'd be the last person to be invited to a dinner party. <laughs> but but think of this. You, you have the Exodus story. Three to five million Jews are enslaved in Egypt, crying out to God because one ruler enslaves them and lives off of their productivity. They receive nothing for the work of their hands, while someone who does nothing benefits from the work of, of three to five million people. They cry out to a God of justice who is the embodiment of justice, and God sends a deliverer in the form of Moses. And Moses says, who shall I say has sent me? He says, I am that I am. And he goes and confronts Pharaoh, and he says, let my people go. I am that who has sent you, and he says, I am that I am. He says, who is God? Pharaoh says, who is God that I should obey him? And God says, I'll show you who I am. And ten plagues, three of which the Jews went through. Then the, the Passover, which is a depiction of Christ. And finally, 
After the death of the firstborn, Pharaoh relents, releases the three to five million slaves, and then realizes his economy, his slave economy is going to implode. So he sends his army after them. God vanquishes the, the Egyptian army in the Red Sea miraculously by parting the Red Sea. The, these three to five million Jews get into the wilderness, the desert, where God provides logistically, which, which would be unbelievable nightmare. He, he, he provides food for three to five million people every day where there isn't food. He provides water where there isn't water. Their clothes don't wear out. Their shoes don't wear out. And then Moses goes up on Mount Sinai and he receives a downloaded moral app, which we, we call moral law. And and he receives the first five commandments, the Decalogue. The first five is our relationship with God. Second five, our relationship with each other. He comes down the mountain, and 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 the Jewish people are in debauchery. They've got a golden calf and a party going on. And he instructs the leadership, train the children with this moral law and put it in the center of the community. And here's, here's the greatest miracle of all the ones I've listed of shoes not wearing out, seas being parted, plagues and you know, food where there isn't, blowing quail off course so that if meat comes out their nostrils. But here's the greatest miracle of all. Three to five million people lived together for 40 years without a police force or a standing army because they had the moral law. And the law, again, Galatians 3, and you follow what, what, what Paul says. The law, as it says in, in uh, Harvard Law School, from a commencement done in 1917, I believe. It's on a plaque. It says, the law is the wise restraints that make men free. And you think, how do restraints make you free? Well, you apply restraint towards evil in order to pursue excellence, the imago Dei. You've been created in the image of God to flourish and, and, and the expanse of that. And as you apply restraints towards evil and create a culture and a society that the law is a school teacher, a guardian to point you to Christ until faith comes as you engage in the public square so that you don't allow alcohol to be sold a, a mile from a school because that would cause a child to just reduce to the least common denominator. We don't have to practice sin. That comes naturally. We apply restraints towards that in order to pursue the excellence for which God intended us all along to be. And that's where culture, culture flourishes. And, yeah. and we've, we've lost that. Yeah, Rob, it's one of our emphases uh, for the last several years has been trying to recover, especially in our own circles, but beyond that, in the broader evangelical world and culture at large, the, the necessity of both God's law and God's gospel, that the God who gave us the gospel is the same God who gave us the law. He loves his law as much as his gospel. Gospel only saves. The law cannot save, but it does function, as you said, in one of its uses, to restrain evil. Uh, and, to point, and to point us to Christ. To point us to Christ is second, yeah, another purpose of the law. So one of the things that uh, I was particularly impressed about as uh, you and I talked and I heard your testimony was your first court hearing, I guess back in August, when you're sitting there with your lawyer and your lawyer says, I'm going to do something that's going to make all my fellow attorneys think I'm not wise. And he put you on the stand. Can you tell us about that? Yeah. Um, Bob Tyler's been an attorney with us and, you know, he, he, he signed up and I told him you're a glutton for punishment. Uh, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm, I, I'm, I'm an endangered species in California. I'm, I'm, I'm an evangelical conservative in California, which is like a California condor. <laughs> but the only thing is I'm not protected like the condor is. <laughs> Um, and so, you know, I, I, I had a piece, uh, 
my wife and I had met and we had counted it because we counted the cost. And I, I had Rob, Bob Tyler and, and the attorneys, I just said to them one day, tell me everything that I can lose if we do this. Go down the list. And he went down the list. You can lose your house. You're going to be audited by the IRS. You could be, you will possibly be imprisoned. You'll lose your church. You'll lose your congregation. You'll, you'll, you'll lose pretty much everything. I said, no, 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 no. Don't just say everything. Tell me specifically. You're going to face death threats. You're going to, and he went down that. And I kept saying, is there any more? And, and my left shoulder was, I, I was in massive pain. Um, and, and he finally said, that's it. And I said, okay. And I, I just said, okay, let's go forward. If that's all there is, then let's do it. And, and the, the pain lifted in my shoulder. And I'm, I'm not a out there charismatic guy. I'm just telling you God's honest truth that happened. And, and, and now my wife and I have already counted the cost. So is my family. So is the church. Our 15 elders have agreed. The owner of the building agreed. We move forward in unity. And I, I'm sitting there and Bob says, I want you to go up um, and I want you to take the witness stand. And he said, law school, any lawyer out, out there, you don't put your client on the stand when he's guilty. I said, Bob, whatever you want to do, I've already given it up. He says, well, let's put you up there. So I went up. And, and their three witnesses were their health inspectors. Hmm. And they came out and did a 61-page report on our church that we, you know, people who appeared not to be family members were not social distancing, and they weren't wearing masks, and we have all these incidents, and we videotaped it, and blah, blah, blah. Well, we broadcast an FM station into our parking lot for our elderly folks who don't want to come in uh, to, the, to the room because they have comorbidities, but they want to wave at people. And, and one couple drove a long distance to be a part of our church, and they stayed in their car, and they serendipitously parked next to the county vehicle. And they got out, and they were taking their pictures, and they got in the vehicle. And the minute they got in the vehicle, all three of them took their masks off. So they're, they're not related. Their masks are off. They're not social distancing. And, and when they get out, they put their masks on, and they take pictures of us, and double standard. And that didn't just happen the first week. It happened the second week with a whole different group of health inspectors. And this couple took pictures of them. And so their witnesses are on the stand. And we said, is this you? And they said, yes. So total contradiction. They impugned themselves. Um, you know, they lied. And so I get up on the stand and, and, and Bob Tyler begins to ask me questions. And the judge is choked up. I'm mm -hmm. choked up. I said, Judge, you, you never probably wanted to do this when you're going through law school, that you would be in the United States of America seeking to arrest a pastor and parishioners in a nation that honors the First Amendment mm. for a virus that has a one one hundredth of one percent death rate in our county. That's that's if you take the one hundred and fifty deaths in a county of eight hundred and fifty six thousand, the, the one hundred and fifty tragic deaths attributed to COVID. But when we did the Freedom of Information Act, we found out of the tragic 150 deaths, only two of them died from COVID. The mm. rest died with. Mm. We had someone who died of a fentanyl overdose, but was positive with COVID. So they counted it as a COVID death. That's government malfeasance. Yeah. Car accident victim, collapsed lungs because of the, the accident, tested positive for COVID. COVID death. This is, this is every death except for two. And the two that died from COVID, a 94-year-old man mm. and a woman in her late 70s. That's it. Mm. And as a result, for the pastors out there who say, 
Why would you open your church? It's not loving your neighbor. It's a violation of the second great commandment. First greatest, love your neighbor, love your Lord with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Love your neighbors yourself. I would just say to my fellow brothers out there, I do love my neighbors. I love the neighbors, the 65% of the restaurants that will never reopen in our county, whose owners have lost their life savings. I, I love our neighbors who have not been able to be with their loved ones as they died alone in a hospital. I love our neighbors who are quarantined and sequestered with their abusers, both physical and sexual abusers. And, and they have no voice because the reporting agencies, the mandated reporters, the schools and the churches have all been closed. I love our neighbors whose special needs kids can no longer go to school. I love them. And it's coming at a great cost. We're being fined every time the doors of the church are opened and we're standing against a tyrannical government and they're, they're imposing these fines on us and no one else is standing with us. I love them. Mm. Now, love costs you something. What are you doing? You're, you're yielding to t- t- tyranny that is ruining our economy and devastating our families for a virus that has a one one hundredth of one percent death rate. And now that the data is coming out that we've known about all along, and even the CDC says six percent of all their deaths are from, not with. And and nobody's pushing back. Mm. Nobody's contending for liberty. And these people are suffering. You, you have no idea what this has done to our community. I, I love them, and I'm contending, and so is our congregation, and I'd encourage you to do the same. You Amen, apply bro. the second greatest commandment. Join us. Amen. I'm so glad that you gave that exhortation, Rob, because I'm it's, hearing about all that you uh, all that you have suffered, and then potentially may suffer. Uh, I'm I'm discouraged that there are so many Christians and even pastors who are duped and who are looking at some of the things that are happening, like to you all, and they're saying, "Well, that's not really persecution, um, you know, because it could have happened to anybody." What's really going on? Why would you make such a fuss over not wearing a mask? Why would you make such a fuss about just not meeting in homes for a while? And the problem is, you can see the short. The, the there's a there's a, some missing. Um, Doctrine and there's some missing knowledge when it comes to people addressing the situation like that. This isn't over uh, just not wearing a mask. This isn't over uh, just, well, we like to meet inside where there's air conditioning and we know that we could have done these other things. You're dealing with governmental tyranny and you're standing up against tyranny. And if you let the government come in and take that space, if they're going to be able to come in and start to dictate to the church uh, how they're going to have to operate in these essential functions of a congregation, even if you say, well, there's another way that we could still get it done and still kind of maintain things. No, but you've allowed them to transgress into the domain where they don't belong over something that is remarkably insignificant and you've opened the door so you you can't just look at it and say well it's just about a mask or it's just about you know meeting outside no it's not you're dealing this with this principally and where we look back at those who have suffered at the hands of uh, overreaching government in the past and we praise them 
my concern is no there's people that are doing that right now but you can't see it you're not paying you're not seeing that guys like rob and guys like pastor john MacArthur and others are actually standing up they're contending for the faith they are trying they're loving god they're loving their people uh even though you're like well this might put your people at risk it's like that's what happens that's what's happened throughout church history pastors have put their people at risk by assembling them at times now we don't want to do that foolishly with disregard for what god's revealed in his word but yes we're experiencing now what has happened in the past and we need to see it that way and support brothers like you who are standing up and magnifying christ even when it's hard so we rejoice at what you're doing so so thankful for the stand that you're taking out there in california thank you and thanks for the encouragement you guys are such a blessing um i I don't know what what time frame we have but i if i could maybe add one more thought if you like it you guys um you know we're we're at a, a critical com- uh, moment in the history of the United States. I don't I don't think we've ever I, this election is unlike I I don't think there's been a more profound election since 1860. Mm. And 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 this is critical. And I would just say to my my fellow shepherds, you know, we know that 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 a baby in the womb has been fearfully and wonderfully made, knitted together in their mother's womb. Before you were born, I knew you. And 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 we we believe in life at conception. We 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 agree that God creates life, and that abortion is an atrocity. And to put a tile up in support of BLM, Black Lives Matter, and I don't even I don't even like to use the word Black Lives Matter with BLM. I want to disassociate because right. Black Lives Matter, BLM is Marxist. Amen. And yet it's it's in vogue to put a black tile up and to be hip. But I ask you this because what whatsoever things are true, that we're supposed to focus on that. So if Black Lives Matter and you put a BLM tile on your Instagram or your social media, don't forget this, that 13% of Americans are black. And you cut that in half, 6.5% male, 6.5% female. And you take the female and you reduce that to a smaller percentage because of childbearing years. So about 4% of America's population is responsible for over 40% of the abortions because Margaret Sanger Mm. set up these abortion clinics in the inner cities to do away with the undesirable races. And it's it's a holocaust on the black community. And Planned Parenthood supports BLM and BLM supports Planned Parenthood. So if you tell me Black Lives Matter and you put that tile up, have you done your homework? And here we are at an election where for the first time since 1973, we can stop Roe v. Wade. And yet 60 to 80 million evangelical Christians in America, of which half are not even registered to vote. And of the half that are registered to vote, only half of those vote in a presidential election and 12% in a non-presidential election. We don't even participate in a constitutional republic by apathy and inactivity and justifying it by whatever means necessary in scripture because we just don't want to to confront the culture or drive the culture. We just adapt to it. Mm. We're like chameleons. And I would exhort you, stop it. We, we have a responsibility for the unborn. We have a responsibility for those who are enslaved to tyranny. And we have the ability to do it. You can vote yourself into socialism, but you can only shoot your way out. And you've been given a gift in the 6,000 years of recorded history where every government on the face of the earth has been an oligarchy. 
and for 244 years through the the great awakening first second and third great awakening we have a system of government that is from the bottom up recognizing that these inalienable rights come from god and that a republic can only survive with a moral people and participation and you have been given the mantle of counselor to the king we the people to proclaim liberty and and you you, you cannot abdicate that right now mm. rob thank so you please, so much man that you, please hold strong amen you know uh, again we appreciate so much your stand your congregation please uh, reassure your people that there's a congregation in southwest florida that is praying for you we will continue to pray for you i look forward to keeping up with you anything we can do to help and encourage you we want to do that and man just keep standing strong amen amen hey thanks for listening to the sword and the trial today make sure you pray for pastor rob and all that's going on out there in california share this show let people know what is going on and uh man we'll keep our eyes out for what unfolds as you all move forward thanks so much brother for joining us today on the sword and the trial bless you guys